Now, last Sunday, last Sunday, uh, Reverend Dr. Anna Robbins was here from Acadia Divinity College, gave a great message um, on Jesus calling Simon Peter uh, to become a fisher of man, to men to leave his his boats behind, and to follow Jesus, and um, and he made that incredibly huge decision to leave behind the life that he knew and to follow Jesus. And as I said last Sunday, uh, for those of you who were here, um, she unintentionally started my next sermon series. Uh, I had uh, I you know I had mapped out a few, several weeks ago. Uh, where I wanted to go in my preaching for the next couple of months. And I had March 1st uh, slated to be the beginning of my Simon Peter series, and I was going to preach on Fishers of Men. Um, and she preached that last Sunday. So it worked out cool that, that actually she launched the sermon series. Uh, so we are actually on part two today, uh, and part two is on witnessing miracles. Now let me just give you a little bit of a background as to why uh, this series... Um, as we've been reading in, the, in Luke and Acts as a church, um, I've just been like, you know, th- thinking, this is great. i got to preach this. This is so good, right? And, uh, and of course, but if I did the whole book of Luke and the whole book of Acts, we'd be here like three years going through that. So I, I was thinking, well, Peter, he's, he's, he's this thread that runs through it, this life of Peter. And, and, uh, and you see his journey. Uh, from from being a fisher a fisherman and 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 not knowing who this Jesus is to then ultimately at the end of his life being a martyr for Jesus um, and his journey along the way becoming kind of the leader of the church uh, it's a it's a cool story and I don't think we I, we spend a lot of time focusing on Paul um, you can find a lot of books on the life of Paul but there's not actually that many on the life of Peter Peter sort of gets missed or something so I thought hey let's spend some time on uh, on, on Peter, and the cool thing about Peter too is we can relate to Peter. You know, he's an average guy, an average working working Joe, um, who, who encounters Jesus and is amazed by him and, and chooses to follow him. Um, and he kind of messes up some along the way, right? I've, I've sub, the subtitle of this series is "Imperfect Disciple," uh, and I think that kind of describes all of us. We're all trying our best here to follow Jesus, but we're imperfect. Um, and we kind of stumble along the way. And so we're going to see some of that in Peter's life as well. Um, and hopefully we can relate to Peter's experience of following Jesus and hopefully grow a little along the way. Uh, I wanted to mention his name, Simon Peter. Um, you know, what is his name? Is it Simon? Is it Peter? Is it just Peter? So I've chosen to use Simon Peter. Simon was his actual birth name. That would be his Jewish name, Simon. Um, and as we're reading through uh, the Luke and Acts as a family, we keep noticing how many times the name Simon comes up. There's a lot of people named Simon, and we have a Simon in our family. And so Simon in particular notices, hey, there's Simon's name again. Um, I think that it was probably like if there was like a, a, you know, a list of the most popular baby names in like 6 BC or something, I'm pretty sure Simon would be at the top of the list. Um, um, so it was like maybe there was a famous person named Simon or something, a celebrity. Oh, let's call everyone Simon. Um, but Jesus, so that's his birth name. That's his actual name. And then Jesus gives him the name Peter. Petros in Greek. Uh, Cephas in Aramaic. Which literally means rock. So Jesus kind of gives him this nickname. You're the rock. Um, so 
uh, he's also in, in the book of John, he's called Simon, son of John. So we know his dad's name was John, or Jonah, or Jonas. Um, but the English translation is Simon, son of John. Uh, which, in, if we were to give him a last name today, he would be Simon Johnson. So, are you ready for this? You can see where this is going, right? His name is Simon the Rock Johnson. Isn't that great? Yeah, I figured that out all on my own. <laughs> so, but we'll call him Peter mostly, or Simon Peter, because uh, that's how the Bible often refers to him. But yeah, Simon the Rock Johnson. Um, all right, so last week, as I mentioned, we talked about, Anna talked about leaving the boats behind, the cost of following Jesus. Um, this week, witnessing miracles. We're going to consider how uh, Peter's faith in and understanding of Jesus was strengthened by his witnessing of Jesus' miracles and how our faith is likewise strengthened by the miracles that we experience in our lives. Uh, Our key text this morning is Mark chapter 1, 29 to 34. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Mark 1, 29 to 34. Uh, There's also Bibles in the seats in front of you. I'll just give you a little context before we read this. What's happening in the story at this point? This is very early in Jesus' ministry. Um, Jesus had already called some of his 12 disciples to, to follow him. We don't know exactly how many, but we know for sure that four of the 12 had been called at this point. Simon, Peter, who we just mentioned. Simon, Peter's brother, Andrew, uh, who were both fishermen. And another set of brothers, James and John. And all four of these men, fishermen, who worked together... They came from. They originally came from the town of Bethsaida on the Sea of Galilee, uh, but in this time in the story, they're living and working in Capernaum, a small town also on the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum seemed to be Jesus's home base for his ministry in Galilee. It seemed to be where most is sort of the center of his ministry in the Galilee region, and he performed numerous miracles in the early stages of his ministry in and around this town of Capernaum. So it was in Capernaum on a Sabbath day, on a Saturday, Jesus goes into the local synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, to teach. This is what he, he, he did almost every Saturday. He went into these synagogues and he'd read the scrolls and he'd teach and whatnot. Uh, and there's a, a picture I want to show you here. This is, um, this is the ruins of the synagogue in Capernaum. Uh, I took this photo in June when we were there. Now this is uh, actually a synagogue from the 4th century, so about three to 400 years after the time of Jesus this was built. But it's built on the foundation of the original synagogue that was there during the time of Jesus. And you can still see the foundation of the original synagogue uh, when you uh, walk around the outside of it. Uh, so it was in this exact place where Jesus stood and, t- and taught in Capernaum. And, uh, and he did a miracle there as well. Um, so he would have been there with Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Uh, and he's teaching, and he casts a demon out of a man. And he amazes everyone. And uh, immediately the word starts to spread throughout the region that this Jesus guy who from Nazareth is here, and he's doing these miracles, and he's teaching with authority, and everybody's got to flock and hear this guy because this is something new and different. And so that's where the story picks up after Jesus has performed this miracle on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. He's cast a demon out of a man. And, uh, and now we go to Mark 1, verse 29. And it says this, and, he, and immediately 
he, Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew, the brothers, with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Okay, that's what we're going to read this morning. Now, let's spend some time with this text. Uh, Verse 29, Immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now this house, the house of Simon and Andrew, is known, uh, just as the synagogue in Capernaum is a known location, and you can go and see it, you can go and see the house of Simon and Andrew in Capernaum. There's another picture. Uh, This is not the house. (laughs) This is a modern church that was built over top of the ruins of Simon's house. So if you go to the next picture, this is what's underneath that church. And here are the remains of what are there now. And this is an interesting site. As, as a lot of these um, historical sites have been uh, tampered with over the years by well-meaning Christians. Uh, and this is no different. This, this, uh, not, the walls that are there now are not really the original walls over the different centuries. Different groups of Christians would come in and because they knew that this was this holy site where Jesus, uh, where Peter's house was, where Jesus had lived and taught and performed miracles. Uh, this was the same place where the, they let the man down through the roof, the paralytic down through the roof, was healed. It happened in this very spot. Uh, this is almost certain. There's a lot of places that you go around Israel and, you know, well, we're pretty sure this is the place, or we're pretty sure this is, they are really quite sure that this is the place. Um, but there's, so different people had built sort of different variations of churches and whatnot over top of the, this place. But anyway, this is the spot and uh, where the house was. And uh, now imagine that the first century, this is, there's a home here. We're not sure how big it was. It was probably... Pretty small, actually, but big enough that Simon and his brother both lived there with their families and even extended families. As we, we read in verse 30 that Simon's mother-in-law was there. Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And so Simon Peter, therefore, we know, was married. Uh, he had a wife, likely had kids, uh, and at least a mother-in-law who lived with him and his brother, and possibly his brother's family. So there could have been a few different rooms and different things, as these houses typically were in the first century in Israel. You'd have a house with many rooms, which Jesus echoes in John 14 when he says, in my Father's house are many rooms. Um, we have mistranslated it, in the, some, some have mistranslated it, in my Father's house are many mansions, but it's actually in many rooms. Imagining a first century Israeli house where there would be uh, a whole bunch of different extended families living in one place. Uh, and that would have been the case here in, uh, in Simon's house in Capernaum. Okay, now, think about this for a second. Simon Peter, uh, he's married. He has a wife, possibly children. Uh, so when he made that decision last week that we talked about, that Anna talked about, where he left his boats behind, he left, he left his life as a fisherman and followed Jesus. 
that adds some gravity to that decision too, doesn't it? Because it wasn't just a decision that he was making for himself to leave behind his, 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 his life and all that he knew, but to, to commit to following Jesus. But uh, it was also a decision he was making for his whole family. Uh, there was more weight to it because of that. What do we know about his wife? Well, we don't know a lot. Uh, there's only one thing we know from Scripture about Peter's wife, and that is that she was a believer, and she traveled with him some in his ministry. Uh, we know that because we get a hint at it in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5. You can go to the next slide. This is uh, the Apostle Paul writing, and he's defending his ministry and basically saying, you know, uh, if these other people can do these things, how come I can't? And, uh, and he mentions that Peter, Cephas is the Aramaic name for Peter, uh, that he gets to take a believing wife along with him whenever he travels anywhere. Um, Peter, Paul was single, and he's kind of saying, well, you know, Peter gets to do that. How come I don't? Sort of thing. Um, but so that tells us Peter had a wife that went with him who was a believer. Who was a believer. Um, there's also a very old tradition about Peter's wife ultimately being martyred for her faith in uh, in Rome, uh, just before Peter himself was killed. And this comes from Clement of Alexandria, who was writing around the year 200. So, again, not very far from the time that these things happened. Uh, and he said this, he said, The blessed Peter, on seeing his wife led to death, rejoiced on account of her call and conveyance home, and called very encouragingly and comfortingly, addressing her by name, Remember the Lord! Such was the marriage of the blessed and their perfect disposition towards those dearest to them. So that's a tradition. We don't know if it's true or not, but it's nice. Um, but anyway, so Peter, Peter had a wife, and we don't know much more than that. Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever, it says in verse 30. Dr. Luke's account of this story, because uh, Luke was a, do- a medical doctor, most likely, uh, his account adds that it was a high fever. So he, he puts that little note in there because he's you know thinking about the medical condition. It was a high fever. The word in the Greek is, uh, I wrote it down, megalo, uh, which where we get the word mega. So it was a mega fever. Uh, point being, she was very sick. This wasn't just a little, a little flu bug or something. She was very sick probably close to death. Um, and uh, so she's, they're all very concerned. Then Jesus comes in. He took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her. Luke adds that he rebuked the fever. And then what happens? She gets up and she starts to serve them. She, starts, she serves the guests in her home. This is quite the gal. Think about that, right? Man, she'd just been healed from like the point of death. And immediately she gets up and she's very concerned about getting people food and different things like that. That's awesome. I know I could preach a good Baptist sermon on this verse alone, right? I could say, we're saved to serve, right? Or I could say, if Jesus has done something for you, get up and do something for Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. But that's not the sermon. (laughs) Um, that's not the point. I don't think that Jesus is making here, that this, the author is making, that Mark is making. Um, let's keep going. Verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. That's, they did that at sundown because Sabbath ends on Saturday night at sundown. So that would be the first opportunity that people felt that they could, could do something like this. 
So uh, the Sabbath is over, so they start to bring Jesus uh, sick people and demon-possessed people. It says in verse 33 that the whole city was gathered together at the door. In other words, a lot of people. Uh, And Jesus heals them, and He sets these people free one by one. He took time with people, uh, each individual, and He ministered to them. I love that. You know, He could have just healed them all instantly in one fell swoop. I'm sure He had the power to do that. They could have all gathered there and said, Okay, everybody gather around. God, heal everybody! And boom, and then they all could go home and he could go to bed. But no, he spent time one by one ministering to each individual person. I, I think that's a beautiful scene. Uh, and then verse 34, and he, uh, he cast out many demons. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. They knew him. That really, I think that's really something, isn't it? It tells us about Jesus' identity. Of course the demons knew him. They knew who Jesus was, the second person of the Trinity. From eternity past, God, He is. He existed in the spiritual realm before He existed in the physical realm. And the demons already knew what mankind was only just beginning to learn about the identity of Jesus. And Jesus had the authority not only to cast them out of people, but to tell them to shut up. And they had to obey the Lord and Master Jesus Christ. I love that. And they still do today. Now, that's the scripture. I want to consider this story from Peter's point of view. Imagine being Peter in the midst of all of this stuff that was happening. What was going on in his heart and mind? You just made this massive decision to leave behind your old life of fishing and to take a risk for yourself and for your family and to commit fully to following this mysterious and yet captivating rabbi from Nazareth. I can imagine that Simon Peter was dealing with some doubt, probably second-guessing himself. Am I crazy? What am I doing? Did I really make the right decision to follow Jesus? I can relate to that. I don't know about you, but I can relate to that feeling. Alright, there's times, there's days, honestly, when I go, am I sure about this? And I think we all have those, those doubts, right? If we're being honest about our faith from time to time. And that's normal and that's okay. But then, for Peter, these miracles just keep happening. From one thing to another... The, before we even get to this story of, of, uh, of uh, he, uh, Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, if we, if we look at all the different gospel accounts, there's been several miracles that have already happened. Jesus, Jesus has performed many, many miracles in Peter's view. He has seen what Jesus can do over and over and over again. And now, and now it's personal. Even his own mother-in-law has been healed. And I'm sure it has this... E- has this effect on him of, of increasing his faith, of, of beginning to solidify in his heart uh, this decision that he's made and th- that it was the right decision. So Peter definitely didn't understand it all. Uh, there's no question about that. I'm sure he, he had lots of questions, lingering doubts, but he couldn't deny the power. He'd, he'd seen enough to believe and his faith was affirmed every time he saw Jesus do another amazing thing. 
Now, what about us? What about us? We had a, a conversation in the office this week uh, doing some devotional time, and we're talking about faith versus facts, you know? Um, do we need to have all the evidence and all the proof? Uh, where is the line between wanting some of that but then also recognizing that we do have to have faith? It was a great conversation. I'm a naturally skeptical person, okay? Uh, so I need evidence if I'm going to believe something. I believe in God through faith, but it's not a blind faith. That's my personality. I don't just want to launch into it and go, well, all the evidence seems to point that it's not true, but I'm going to have faith anyway. No, I want the evidence to, to demonstrate that it's, it's probably true, you know, uh, before I'm going to have faith. It's a faith with a foundation of facts. Uh, a faith with a foundation of truths of which I'm convinced. In study, so I've, I've done a lot of study. In study, I've concluded that there's sufficient reason from science to believe that God exists. Uh, I've concluded that there's sufficient evidence that the Bible is a reliable and true document. I've concluded that there's sufficient grounds for believing that Jesus literally rose bodily from the dead. So I have faith, but it's a faith with a foundation of compelling evidence. If I didn't think those things were true, I likely wouldn't have faith. But then there's also this factor. This factor of miracles. Miracles. The definition of a miracle is a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a, of a divine agency. Or you might say, the supernatural intervention of God in our world today. So Peter didn't, have, Peter didn't have all the answers, but he'd seen Jesus do stuff. He'd seen Jesus do stuff that could not in any way be explained by natural means. It was undeniable for him. And that was the thing that Jesus used over and over and over again in his ministry to, to gain followers, to convince people that he was who he said he was. He would do signs and wonders. Right? He'd say very, very profound things uh, and make very, very dramatic claims about who He is. But being the Messiah, being the Son of God, being the Son of Man. And then He would prove it with signs and wonders. Uh, he would do miracles. Uh, and it was these miracles, these, the healings, the power over evil spirits, the control over nature, the ability to transform water into wine and to multiply food and even raise people from the dead and so on and so on and so on that, that the people just couldn't deny it because they'd seen it with their own eyes. And this has been true for me too. This is what I'm saying, is that uh, God didn't just do miracles in Bible times, but praise God, He's still actively performing miracles in our world all the time, all over the place, in all kinds of ways that we recognize sometimes in other ways that we don't notice. But boy, is He ever active today. And I have seen God at work in so many ways, so many miraculous ways, that there comes a point, there, there came a point for me, and there, it's a continuing thing, when my natural skepticism that is, that is in me, and my natural critical mind, just has to give way under the weight of the evidence of God's hand at work, like a, like a dam that just has to burst open under the pressure of the water. Uh, I've just seen so many things God do that I just, I just can't, I, you know, I, I, so God, 
obviously, you are so real and so active. Uh, it doesn't mean that we should stop being critical thinkers. I still tend to speculate if there's a natural explanation when someone recounts a miracle to me. So you might be telling me a story and I'm going, uh-huh, oh, wow, praise God. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, did that really happen? Or, or is there some... I'm so I'm sorry about that. This was my, my personality. Uh, but there's too many that I just go, wow. Like, I just, so many that just cannot be explained. I just, Lord, like, obviously, right? <laughs> like, okay, God, I get it. You're amazing. So how about you? What miracles, what miracles have you experienced? In what ways have you seen God intervene supernaturally in your own life that have affirmed your own faith? In Jesus. I bet that we could go around this room and almost all of you would probably have a story or multiple stories of miracles that God has done in your life or in the lives of people you know. A couple weeks ago, uh, Lynn Crozier, and I have her permission to share this. Of course, you're going to see in a second. Um, uh, Lynn Crozier told me a story of God's miraculous protection over her and, and Lorne. Um, and I just thought, this story is so good. And so, just to me, it's just one of those wow God moments um, that it's got to be shared. So, Lynn and I sat down the other day, and I filmed her telling her testimony of God's protection over her and her husband. And so let's just watch that right now, uh, and then I will wrap things up after that. So if you can go to the next. Hi, my name's Lynn, and I'd like to share with you something that I call a God thing that happened to me about three weeks ago now, on a Monday. My husband and I uh, were um, in, at, in Halifax uh, for tests at a hospital, and we finished about a half an hour early. And so we wanted to make it home to Truro uh, before the storm hit. There's supposed to be a severe snowstorm happening. And I took the Roby Street um, way to go to the, the McKay Bridge. And going around a big curve in the road, and I approached the bridge. And I was coming along the straight stretch. And then I had an overwhelming desire to say a quick prayer of protection. Like, oh, Lord, just please protect me. Protect us. Um, don't let anything happen to us. Keep us safe, please. I was in, I was well into my right-hand lane. Um, and in the center of my lane, everything was going well. I checked my rearview mirror very quickly. And to my left, on my bumper, there was, just, but in his own lane, there was a, an 18-wheeler truck. Five seconds, not more than that, after I said that prayer of protection, I was bang. And my car was hit. I thought, oh my goodness, what's happening? And then there was another bang. And I felt jerked. And the car was feeling dragged, pushed along far right part of the bridge toward the, the edge of the bridge and I thought okay keep focus keep focus keep the car straight and then there was another bang and I thought can I go a little bit faster to get out of the truck's way 
because I looked in the rearview mirror and there I could see the truck not completely behind me but from the center of my bumper to the driver's side and there was another bang and I, I couldn't go any faster to get ahead of him because there were cars, a bank of cars in front of me and I felt my car going over to the right more and more and more and I just kept hanging on, Lord help me hang on and keep this straight and I focused, I just focused where I was going and a total of about six bangs like that to my car when I finally got stopped in a safe place and the driver of the truck and I exchanged information he was quite shook up naturally and he explained to me what it, what happened I was in his blind spot but the reason he ended up in my lane was because there was an SUV coming on the outside of him speeding and there was a dad on a cell phone not really paying attention and the driver of the truck noticed there was a baby seat with a baby in it um, and he would have hit that right on the door where the baby was the baby would have not survived and so the driver of the truck he couldn't see me but he swerved and he pulled into my lane but I was occupying the space where he wanted to be the truck driver he was just white and shook up so I assured him everything was okay and that I was okay and my husband was okay everything was all right and I was able to share with him my prayer like this is God that did this he was amazed that I wasn't hurt and I says no no I says just five not five seconds before we made a connection um like God protect I prayed and, and God protected us and, and none of us are hurt and that's just a God thing that's a wonderful thing and I was able to share he always does that he just always does that you just depend on him and trust him it's it's good and I thought okay one of the reasons I could have got hit was to share the message of God and how great Jesus is with us so I thought use this opportunity to glorify him because he sure protected all of us the baby the truck driver and my husband and myself and that was that was a God thing and I was so grateful when I got the car checked out when I got back to to Bible Hill the person that always checks out my car I says ew saw a crack in, in the bumper There's, we're going to need a new bumper anyway he came out by this time it was it had been snowing hard and my bumper was covered and my, the fellow Percy came out and he got all the snow off the bumper and he looked he says Lynn it's only scratched there's not even a crack in your bumper and he checked the inside and for the stability of the car God put a shield of protection around us God, I think that's, I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. What a great story, huh? I just love that. Five seconds before she's hit by an 18-wheeler six times, God just says, pray for protection. And this baby is protected, and everyone is safe. Everyone's fine. It's amazing. Crazy. Um, that uh, video is going live on our Facebook page. Uh, right about now, so you can share that this afternoon with all your friends on Facebook and 
get the story out of how good God is. Um, let me just wrap this up with a couple thoughts. Um, Lee Strobel, in his book, The Case for Miracles, he writes that 38% of people have personally experienced something, uh, and he's talking about Americans. They did a survey of Americans. 38% of Americans say they've personally experienced something that can o- they can only explain as a miracle of God. He says that's 94 million miracles. And even if the overwhelming majority of them, he says, turned out to be coincidences or could be explained naturally, we're still talking about millions of miracles. And that's just in the USA. In other places around the world, miracles are happening like crazy. You can read stories about things that God is doing in the church all over the world. It's amazing. Um, Sometimes they're happening so frequently that it's almost becoming commonplace uh, in the church. Like, yeah, no surprise, you know, that another miracle happened. Uh, Harry Gardner tells a great story, and I know he's actually shared it here. He shared it at my ordination service as well. The time that he was in Brazil, and a man named Oscar had the very, very severe eye infection. And, uh, and Harry just felt compelled to pray for him. And just prayed, Lord, heal Harry's eye. Uh, uh, Lord, hear, heal Oscar's eye. Uh, and then a couple hours later, Oscar comes running to Harry and says, Harry, my eyes, they're healed. And his eyes had miraculously been healed just like that. And Harry was like, wow, this is so amazing. He's like, look, everybody, look at, look at what God has done to Oscar's eye. Look, look, look. And everyone was just like, yes, Harry, that happens all the time here. <laughs> like, what are you getting so excited about? Uh, but, but God did it. Harry, we live by faith here. You know, uh, and and so uh, it's just amazing what God is doing. It's just it's just absolutely incredible. And and you know the amazing thing is is even if one one miracle even if one miracle is true, it destroys atheism. Now, I don't know how you can be an atheist, honestly. Uh, if if even one of the millions and millions of miracles that people say happened, if even one is true, then there is a God. So uh, you know, atheism is stupid. That's my point. Okay. Um, <laughs> You can quote that. (laughs) Peter witnessed miracles. Peter witnessed miracles and it drove him to a deeply committed faith in Jesus Christ. My message for us this morning is simply that the same would be true of us. That wherever we're at, on our journey at this moment, that you will reflect on the reality of the power of God miraculously at work in our world today. And as a result, your trust in Jesus will grow deeper. Your love for Him will grow stronger. Your worship and testimony of Him will grow louder. Amen? Amen. Amen.